This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lay some up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 97 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. Joined for the last time this Bruins season, I, I should say, with uh, by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Pro. Although we will be, you know, um, recording throughout the summer and whatnot. But um, and I say that because I hate to say I told you guys so earlier on, but turns out my prediction was correct. Carolina took the series in seven, um, beating the Bruins three to two, and in, in, in a game that kind of. Uh, the score was closer than it really felt. Yeah, I mean, they get it to, yeah, they scored with 21 seconds left from Pasternak and then actually got the puck to the net again in those last 21 seconds. But Yeah, Marshawn had like a doorstep chance, and that was like, I think that was just cruelty, though, to Bruins fans, like with with five seconds left or whatever, you see like an open net to shoot into for Marshawn, and it like rolls under a stick. But yeah, that that was just a, a... 30 seconds of cruelty rather than just letting everybody sit back in their chair and go grab a beer or go take a nap. Yeah. And it was, it was so many of the same problems that have popped up in the games in Raleigh throughout this series, like chances early on couldn't finish, gave up the first goal, got into early penalty trouble. The, the penalty that Taylor Hall took at the end of the first period, right after they go down one, nothing was, so unbelievably stupid and they technically killed off all four minutes of it but carolina scores 12 seconds after it ends like to me that's that's still on haul that's still a continuation it you know the bruins are still kind of scrambling trying to recover after the pk at that point yeah Um, the play the the play was still you know the play started that the goal ended up coming on the play started before hall jumped out of the box so yeah I mean, really, it is just a continuation of um, what was happening with him trying to jump on the ice and, and get back on D or it was, you know, it it happens all the time. You see it. It was an immediate letdown after a great kill, which it could have been something to, you know, set a foundation for the second period. If you go in still score, scoreless and you have a good kill and you know that when you were successful on the kill, Last game, good things happened right after. So kind of changed the complete 
dynamic of that when at the very end of the period you have to kill off a minute and then you have to go in first three minutes of the second period. And so, yeah. And, and, you know, a little bit of puck luck on that goal to make it two nothing where Hampus Lindholm gets the shot block, but it goes bounces off him right to Max Domi on the doorstep. But nonetheless, you put yourself in a position to fall behind two nothing, which as we've seen in the series is pretty much impossible to come back from against this Carolina team. Like, one goal is hard enough, and they they did that a couple times to their credit. Uh, you know, games three and four, they did come back from a goal down. Um, but two goals against the number one defensive team in the NHL in the regular season, like it's it, it's basically a death sentence. And like you, for so much of that second third period, the Bruins were really struggling to create any chances. And, and a big part of it is Carolina just doesn't make mistakes. Like their defense is just so clean. It's it's a well-oiled machine, and the Bruins didn't do enough to force mistakes. But you know, sometimes when you're trying to come back, you need sometimes you need teams to make mistakes. Like, and Carolina just doesn't do that. Yeah, um, not to mention that. Not to mention that you fall down two goals to anyone, and you pretty yeah. much screwed. Like, it never mind it being Carolina, you could fall down two goals to Montreal and still not be able to come back. Like, it doesn't. It, it, it's never easy. I think the last time the Bruins did it was against Buffalo, like many, many weeks ago. Uh, so it's never the the last time the Bruins won after falling behind two nothing was January first against Buffalo. That was the very first game after the COVID break. And that's so, Buffalo, right? Like yeah. that's not Carolina, and it's still a long time ago. So, well, it's it's one thing if you're if you're expecting a team to come back from down two zero. But when you look at the Bruins coming back down from 2-0, it's not a team trying to come back from 2-0. It's, well, now David Pashnak and Brent Marchand, they need to come back from down 2-0 because you're not getting anything from your bottom, you know, I mean, Charlie Coyle here and there. But th- their bottom six offensively has been, like I said a few weeks ago going into the playoffs, like it just, it's not a high-end quality bottom six production-wise. It hasn't been there all year. And you can't expect it to happen in the toughest time either. So just very, very one-dimensional. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, the two lines hopefully that can produce offense instead of four and or at least three. I mean, like, you, you can't – you're watching that game, guys. Like, do you have any confidence? Like, okay, maybe Marchand or Pashnak and, you know, Bergeron or somebody, DeBrusque or Hall, like – Maybe those guys can, can 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 sneak one in, or maybe maybe McAvoy can you know get something going from the blue line or something. But do you watch that game when they're losing and say to yourself, "Oh, I, I have any confidence in Thomas Nosek or Trent Frederick or Craig Smith doing or Nick Foligno?" Guys, it's there's literally nothing happens, and um, you know I just thought that they were very sloppy. They were very sloppy with the puck, just like. Slapping at it, not put, not protecting it, not possessing it, not a lot of purpose, not a lot of energy. You know, obviously somebody like Pashnak was getting double shifted a lot, so I don't want to question like a lot of the top guys' efforts. They just didn't really come through. You know, most of the regulation, but but throughout the lineup, guys, it just it just felt like it was a back to back in February. It did not feel like it was a game seven for Carolina. It felt like it, but for the Bruins, it's just for the most part, it was sloppy and just kind of. I don't know. They just yeah, there. S- sloppy with the puck and without it. And and Bruce Cassidy highlighted this in his post game press conference. Like what was most frustrating to him was that two of the goals came on just 
defensive breakdowns on stuff that like they practice all the time and pride themselves on. Um, you know, like the the I think it was the, the first goal of the game. They have three guys back, like all three forwards get back, but no one picks up Jacob Slavin at the point, and he has like all day to pick out a pass to the doorstep, and then it's one more pass, and it's in for the for the goal, and it's like. And both times it was the third line because then the the next goal that we mentioned, you know, right after the Hall penalty, um, uh, or no, actually, sorry, the third goal of the game, um, the third line's out there again. And again, they get the numbers back, but everyone just like goes to the wrong place. Frederick gets caught kind of in no man's land, can't get a stick on the centering pass, and Coyle and Forbord are sort of like staring at each other with neither one picking up Max Domi. And it's like, it, that's something that, you know, the Bruins are generally pretty good at as defensive zone cut. Like, usually when they get caught out of position in the D zone, it's after, like, long cycling and, you know, eventually someone loses an assignment. But in this case, they're both off the rush. And, like, the Bruins are were, you know, statistically one of the best rush defenses all season. Like, that's something they've been really good at. And that's two goals that basically came off complete breakdowns in their rush defense and it's like uh, like you know to your point about like the the depth forwards like at the very least you you can't get scored on and that third line gave up two tonight and you, like you look at their numbers for the series some of these depth guys and it's just it's just brutal and i mean charlie coyle in the series was on the ice for zero five on five goals four and seven against Jake DeBrusque. In game seven, he was on the ice for all three goals. Yeah. Against. Jake DeBrusque, one, four, seven against. Taylor Hall, two, four, eight against. Uh, Hall, a three, four, six against. Like, it's, you know, you like, you can't have that. You can't have, if if those guys aren't going to be scoring at a prolific rate and and producing five on five goals, at the very least, you got to take care of your, your defensive business and not get scored on. And, all series long, you know, I would argue from the second line down, you know, second line had a couple decent games, but basically everyone other than your top line struggled to keep the puck out of the net. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, it's dating back to, you know, last summer, you know, when, when you see what this roster is looking like and you have no crazy coming back and you see the guys that they bring in like Halla and Nosek and Felino. You know, you try to be optimistic, and you try to you try to see what Sweeney's seeing in these guys. But you know, deep down, you kind of know, like, all right, this isn't really a very prolific offensive team we're looking at here after your top guys. And you know, the regular season is one thing, right? I mean, you're you're not a playoff series is different. You're able to you're able to um, hone in on on teams' weaknesses and whatnot. And you know, the regular season is just. Yes, they're a good regular season team. Well, guess what? There's about 20 good regular season teams. 16 make it, about five or six don't. So it's it's just um, my point is they you you could see what this team ceiling was all year. You know, in the moment you don't want to admit it because you want to enjoy the run and, and, and hope you know hope for the best. But this team ceiling was only you know first round, maybe second, um, and that ceiling was the, lower because. Their roster just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't elite enough. It, it was. It, it just wasn't. Uh, and, and you know, it was. It was exposed in this playoff series. I mean, again, like, just total lack of depth. And um, you know, 
in this game in particular, it's like you gotta be when you're on the road, you have to be strong in the faceoff circle. And like when you know Bergeron is is going up against Jordan Stahl all game, not to rehash the storyline Scott's nauseous over, but you know Bergeron's gonna at best break even with Stahl. So like if you're Charlie Coyle, Eric Halla, like Thomas Nosek, like Curtis, you have to you have to win the like your your fair share of faceoffs. And it just felt like Carolina was winning the majority of them and dictating the, the, the uh, where the play was going, and the Bruins were just chasing. I mean, the Bruins got no cycle game going. I don't know. It, it just it just wasn't great. I mean, I, I, I certainly think that the team that deserved to win this series won the series. You know, I, I I tweeted some arbitrary number out, like, towards the end of the game, but if, I mean, of the 21 periods these two teams played, I, 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 honest, I honestly feel like Carolina soundly outplayed the Bruins in at least 13, 14 of the periods, and the Bruins may have outplayed them in seven or so. I just think Carolina, they 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 were more consistent. Even in the games in Boston, they had their moments. The Bruins never had their moments in Carolina. I'm waiting to hear the uh, inevitable Scott McLaughlin column about, you know, regrading the <laughs> – because in the beginning of the season, he did the grades on all the offseason acquisitions and – Let's see where he came back down because I know he had given Hollow like the worst grade, and then like Felino went incomplete. So I mean, now you got a complete look. Well, Scott, you, can, you can do another assessment, Scott. Real, real quick, like, can 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 you give me an assessment on somebody who wasn't brought in this year but last? Like, what the hell happened to Craig Smith? Like, what he's he's a volume shooter. He's not even getting shots. He was invisible. Yeah. Invisible. It's- it was crazy. Like, obviously, just an awful series for him. And, and a couple of games where he got sat down for pretty long stretches and would end up around, like, 10, 11 minutes. He only had 10 um, minutes today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he like, only had four. Periods. He had under four minutes by, by the end of the second period. Under four minutes. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, look, maybe, I, I'm sure he's been dealing with something, and maybe we're going to find out in, you know, these next few days, whenever uh, they have their breakup day, that it's you know something serious, maybe it requires surgery. But you know, it's but it's the old, it's the old cliche though. Like if you're out there, you've got to perform. I mean, if it was if it was so bad that he couldn't give you more than this, then maybe he shouldn't have been out there. You know, so like, like who knows on all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean clearly struggled down the stretch in the regular season. It, I mean, really most of the season, honestly, like the, there were stretches where he was good and it looked like he was getting going and then he'd go cold again. And, and I don't know. I've, I've always really liked Craig Smith as a player. He, I thought he was really good last, last year, especially down the stretch and, and, you know, the first round against Washington. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to hope that it's, it, an injury that really limited him because otherwise I don't know how you explain that shop of a downturn. I'm, like he's not at an, at an age where that should be happening. It shouldn't be an age thing. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't really have any answers other than what, what, what everyone saw, which is that he was pretty much invisible for a, a large chunk of this series. The injury the injury stuff though is it, it's a tough it's a tough sell for me because I totally acknowledge it and understand it's a real thing. But I guarantee you there's probably five or six guys 
that were just doing a storm surge after the game at center ice that are going to require offseason surgery, and they're going into second the second round. And like, um, so it's it's everybody deals with it. it, it everybody deals with it, and. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying he should have been out there with you know five goals in the series, but like he wasn't even generating anything. Um, and you know he would, you know him and Frederick and Coyle just got exposed on certain back checks in transition throughout the series and whatever. It, it's just disappointing is all. I mean, like for, for to, you know it's one thing to expect like five to ten goals out of Nick Foligno going into the year and not get it. It's like, I mean I. When you look back at his stat line, okay, great. Craig Smith finished the year with 16 goals and, you know, whatever, probably 20 assists, whatever it was. It's, like, not a bad year. But, you know, it, it, he just wasn't who you needed them to be. Uh, and, and he's one of, a few, you know, many guys that, that falls in that category. Yeah, I wanted to touch on, like, the whole, you know, signing depth this offseason and prioritizing that. <laughs> because we're going to, you know – Maybe this podcast, maybe another, like, we'll, we can get into, you know, what the future holds for Don Sweeney and re- his contract reportedly is up this offseason. Uh, you know, according to numerous sources, like, he, he's not signed for next season. Um, and, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Like, I think there's still a lot, a lot of people in the organization who are loyal to him and, um, who probably want him to stay and are close friends with them. And Cam Neely might be one of them. And that might be the one that matters the most. Um, but he did not have a good off season last year. Like we, this was his plan. A remember all these signings were on day one of free agency. The Bruins were by far the most active team on day one of free agency. Felino, Holland, Nosek, Forbort and Allmark. Those were the guys they identified. Those were not, fall back options because they missed out on other guys. Um, you know, and look, I, ultimately the Allmark thing, I think, worked out fairly well, all things considered, you know, given, like, all the uncertainty around Tuca and him ultimately not being able to play. Like, all right, like, sure, that's that's fine. Um, Forboard, yeah, it was a monster on the penalty kill, but – Again, that's that's one part of the game, and it doesn't negate, uh, you know, ineffectiveness at five on five. And you know, I mean, look, they're playing going into the years to play forward with McAvoy, and that yeah. failed. That failed so quickly and so obviously that like just salvaging him as like a decent third pairing defenseman was the best you could hope for. Yeah, um, you know, Halla, look, Halla easily matches contracts like there's one who early in the season when he was a depth forward really struggled you put him with skilled players he was you know he he put up decent numbers like it's hard to argue that with that cap hit but in the playoffs holler really struggled and only looked even decent when he had both hall and Pasternak, right and same goes for taylor hall by the way like i'm not saying that's all in eric Halla. But you take Pasternak off that line, and that line was completely invisible. Um, Felino, obviously not worth the money. $3.8 million, and, you know, he did, what, scored two goals a season? He's like, consistently has, like, the fewest minutes per night. Yeah. Like, he's just not I mean, there contributing. Uh, and he went from third-line guy to fourth-line guy to, you know, just – 
just a guy that you put in there because, you know, he's just going to, you know, give a little bit of identity, a little bit more toughness to your lineup. Uh, so yeah, that one was really, that one gets the worst grade. Uh, but yeah. how uh, I think when uh, Scott was hard on him, when he first gave the grades, um, he definitely had more upside than when Cassie found the right place to put him. Uh, and I, the Allmark thing, no problem with, uh, the Nosick and the Felino and the Forbert, and that then then you end up having the same problem this offseason, right? You yeah. didn't nail it. You didn't nail it. So we're gonna go into this offseason with the same problems. Besides with- goaltending, goaltending has been taken care of if you're happy with Allmark and Swayman, but pretty much everything else. Yeah, by the way, with a lot less money to spend this offseason, right now, you know, barring any other moves, they're they're set to have about four point four million dollars in cap space. Like that, that maybe gets you Bergeron if he wants to return on a cheap contract, and that's it. Other than that, you've got to trade guys away to free up salary and, and try again. But it's like the, their number one issue last year that everyone knew was they didn't have enough depth scoring, right? Like second round against the Islanders when the top line went quiet, they didn't have nearly enough behind them. And Sweeney's way of addressing that wasn't – it was quantity over quality. He, he signed depth guys who were slated to go into those third and fourth line roles. And instead of spending that money on, you know, a, a real impact second liner or top four defenseman um, and, and saying, you know, okay, maybe we're only going to sign two guys instead of four – but they're two, you know, higher end guys who actually make a real impact. And, you know, so he took this approach instead and it didn't work. They didn't, in the end, they did not have more depth scoring this year than they had last year. So it ultimately didn't work. And like, you know, you, like I said, if it weren't for Hollow kind of, kind of lucking into him, at least being a decent fit between Hall and Pasenak, it would really look like a disaster. Um, you know, but like, and everyone's like, oh, well, you know, the response will always be from like, you know, well, who was out there? And I'll keep going back to someone I've mentioned before, but Philip Dano, who you saw plenty of because he was with Montreal. So you should have had a pretty good book on him. And he went to the Kings for first, I think it was like six million a year and had a really good season and has been a big factor in the Kings taking the Oilers to game seven. Now that that game is just about to start while we're recording. Um, but, you know, like that was there, like that there's an actual second line center that makes a real impact and doesn't just have to get kind of elevated by his two wings. Like Philip Dano has driven a line with the Kings this, this season. And that was the kind of player that again, okay, you sign one of him. You don't get to sign two third, fourth liners, but I feel like the, the approach that Sweeney took ultimately ultimately didn't work. They, they needed impact guys, not just more depth guys. They needed a second line center. Uh, they didn't really, you know, completely nail it. Obviously we mentioned Hollis stepped up, but replacing Krejci was always going to be a difficult thing to do. And replacing Tuka obviously wasn't going to be easy either. Um, not saying like he played great in last season, but he still, you know, Tuka Rask and, trying to move on from him and, and start the new round of goaltending was going to be 
a difficult thing to do. And now you're looking at an off season where last off season, it was Krejci is Krejci coming back speculation and whatnot. And this year it's Patrice Bergeron. Um, and by the way, guys, next year, it's going to be David Pasternak. So um, it's going to be, it's just going to be like this every off season, you know, in the foreseeable future where you got these big guys that have been, you know, the foundation of the team that since, since back when they won the Stanley cup, I mean, geez, 11 years ago now, doesn't feel like that. It, um, yeah. But it, I, you're, you're having, you know, Bergeron, Krejci, and then now Pasternak coming up, not this off season, but the next off season. So, um, and, and the Bergeron speculation is going to be, it's already off the charts. It's, I'm already, I'm already over it. Um, it's, it's but obviously, legit, obviously it's a big subject. Yeah. Scott's already writing about it. It's a huge subject, but at this point for me, the reason why I'm just like, can we not, first of all, we're like a few hours post season and Bergeron spoke and said, you know, it's, it's too fresh. It's too raw. I'm not, I'm not ready to make a decision yet or whatever. Nobody knows anybody who tells you they know what he's doing right now is just, they, they're, they're kidding themselves. I don't know. You don't know. I'm not even sure Bergeron knows. Like that's why I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for, I mean, you got to cover it right off the top. I guess Scott's doing that. And I guess you can write your columns, you know, what do the Bruins do if Bergeron does leave, what, does retire? Like how do they approach the off season differently, whatever. But up until the point where it's like, we're right down to it. I'm, I'm already sick of it. See, that's a, that's a problem to me though, because the Bruins aren't learning from their mistakes. Like I said this to you guys last summer and, and it, and it, it, it just drove me up a wall. It's like you, for, since the two, th- so Patrice Bergeron's been on your team since 2003, 2004. David Krejci came along in like 06, 07, mainly 07, 08. My point is, for about 14, 15 years, you had your 1-2 center combination. And you never considered what life would have been like without them. And you never prepared for it. The fact that last year, they went into free agency with no replacement plan for David Krejci besides, oh, maybe Jack Stanika, which, by the way, lost year. Where's the development with him? And if it's and you know what? Maybe it's on the player. Fair enough. But it's like that's just a total lost cause now, which sucks. Um, and then, you know, they bring in Hala. It's like they just have no plan. And now with Bergeron, so what? Are we just going to wait and see what happens and, you know, you know, get stuck with the, you know, the thumb up their ass. Like, it's just, it's, you have to prepare. Like, you can't just be blindsided by things. And I'm not saying that right now they should know about Bergeron, but it's like, they need to press him before it's too late this summer. Like, what's what's the deal, Patrice? And maybe he's waiting to hear what the GM situation is going to be next year. And so, you know, and also their lack of, and I know it's easier said than done when you're not a, you're not, you're not having high draft picks, although, they, I mean, they have had high draft picks in 2015, but let's not go there. Um, the the lack of drafting and developing, developing at the center ice position, um, and just in general, forced them to go shopping last year. Like, you shouldn't be spending an accumulation of, like, $7 million on bottom six forwards. Those are forwards that you could just grab from the minors. Like... You pay for high-end guys. You don't have to pay for those guys. You should be able to bring those guys up. Like, there's enough of them. Um, like, can Oscar Steen and, 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 and um, 
Mark McLaughlin and, you know, Anton Bleak. Can those guys do for you what, you know, Nosek can do? Yeah, I think I think I think they can. What Nick Felino can do? Yeah. By the way, Nick Felino, guys, he didn't even have a, a a shot beat a goalie clean this year for a goal. His two goals were like, you know, off his skater, like a rebound on the crease. He didn't even beat a goalie clean all year. And the top- Remember remember when they had him on the power play, top unit? Yeah, that yeah, that, yeah, yeah. October was a good time. Net front guy, great net front guy. October was fun, um, but and, and then as far as like veteran leadership and toughness, like you know, yeah, like I like him, but I I, I must have missed the part where he was dropping the gloves all year. So really, what was he bringing you? Anyway, I'm gonna pose this question to you guys. Um, do you think Don Sweeney should be the guy to lead this team forward? Um. I would say so. If Bergeron returns, maybe. But if it's gonna, if there's like a real rebuild here and a real resetting of the roster that has to happen, it is. It would be hard for me to trust him to be the one to do that. Um, you know, I think his strengths as a general manager uh, have been, you know, locking up his own guys which should not be dismissed and a willingness to be aggressive when it comes to trades. And we saw that again this year with Hampus Lindholm, which I think was a good trade. Uh, you know, I think we probably signed him for a little too long, but whatever is a solid enough signing. Like, you know, Lindholm looked good in the playoffs for the most part. So I'm okay with, you know, with that move and, and obviously addressed, it addressed a need that was there because it still hadn't been addressed earlier. Um, but I, I feel like there's just, there's too many cases like this where he is too late to, to get to something. You know, how long have, like Brian said, how long have we been talking about the need to have that next center? And they, you know, it's like your cracks at it have been Jackson Nika, a second rounder, Johnny Beecher, a, you know, third, what was he? 31st, 30, 30th, 31st pick, um, you know, basically a second rounder. It like, those are long shots. Those aren't, you know, those aren't guys that you're taking high. Obviously we know 2015, I, I guess they thought that was too early to try to address that, that they had, you know, enough years left to Bergeron and Krejci that they didn't need to then because they had those three first round picks and didn't take a center, didn't take Matt Barzell. Um, you know, didn't go out and sign, like I said, Philip Dano, like didn't think they needed to spend that kind of money at that position last off season. I think that was a mistake. So yeah, if Bergeron leaves, if Bergeron does retire, like obviously they have to do something and, you know, look at the free agent market. Like who would it be? Nazem Kadri is the only, I would say like surefire top six center that's, You're gonna and he's gonna require so much, but he's gonna get a huge contract. Like right. he, he's gonna get an absolutely massive contract. And if you're already up against the cap, like you, also very well liked guy in Boston. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you go. So you go. You'd go from having you know your most likable to the most hateable in in, in Boston at least. Kadri is not. You know, he's one of the guys he gets on the ice. He gets booed. Uh, so right. and, <laughs> you go from and- the the complete you, opposite. Yeah, and you put him and Martian on the same line. Now you got to worry about having two guys on your top line who can get suspended at any given moment. Like, 
that's not ideal either. Um, no. Other than that, it's like like Evgeny Malkin. I think it's either Pittsburgh or nothing for him. Um, you know that who like there there's just there's not much out there. It's you know Claude Giroux. He already said no to Boston once. I don't know. Maybe he decides to pull a Jerome McGinley, but he's also 37 years old or, you know, whatever. So yeah, that does not solve your long-term issue no, right there. No, there is no long-term center solution. And like, that's part of why it's, you know, really, it would be really hard for me to trust Sweeney. Like how long was getting that, you know, top left shot defender uh, an issue? Like you, you knew Zidane Ochara was getting older and I guess you took a crack at it by drafting Vakanine and, and, and before that, Zaboral, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's been too slow to address clear organizational needs. And now at a time where you're going to have to, you know, because I don't think a, a full teardown is in play or should be in play. Like, not when you have Charlie McAvoy and Hampus Lindholm locked up and Jeremy Swayman, you know, hitting his prime in the next couple of years. And, Hopefully David Posnock locked up. That's that should be a priority this offseason as well as get that. Oh yeah, don't let it get to this the, point. Yeah, get the extension done now. Don't you know, don't let it get to his final year. Um don't let it be a story at the end of the season. The first thing everyone's tweeting out and writing right. about is how are they gonna sign David Posnock? Like but don't do that. I mean, look at what happened when when it ha- when that happened with Krug. Like crazy every least, single time it's it's bit you in the ass. At least that's in their control though. Like so, like like you like Krejci and Bergeron, that was just they were waiting on word for them if they were retiring or not. Like like at least Passion Act like they can control that right from the get go. You know anytime they want really. Yeah, and so to answer your original question, Brian, about management, I try to like go through the mistakes he's made and and like what to give him credit for. This season, something that I give him credit for that we didn't know how it was going to play out in hindsight, it worked out for the Bruins. Obviously, they don't go on a a deep Stanley Cup run. But he handled the DeBrus situation better than I think uh, other people might have because there was a lot of pressure on him to do what DeBrus wanted and what his agent wanted. And he ends up signing him, not trading with the deadline, which was the right move in hindsight, and also signing him to a contract extension, which, you know, keeps a few possibilities open for the Bruins. So he doesn't mess that up, doesn't mess up, in my opinion, all Mark. That's fine. Um, trade deadline, you know, Lindholm extension, fine. Hall, those are, that's a good extension. Um, and as of right now, um, it looks like that. So those are a few things that I think he gets credit for. And then you just have to think about. I, I think honestly, think they're going to give him another year. Uh, when I really think about it, uh, they're going to wait to see just how much it hurts for him to not have made the moves he should have made a long time ago. Well, I think. I mean, to me, if if they bring him back, it's got to be for more than you can't go year to year at the general manager position. Like you're making too many you're making too many decisions long-term versus short-term and doing weighing that where like, if you're telling Sweeney, you know, we're going to give you one more year, like we'll give you a year and then reevaluate. Well, then every movie he's going to make is going to be only next short term. Yeah. yeah. Short, short term. But yeah, I mean, listen, I just feel like they're not, they're not at the point yet where they're a hundred percent sure that it's time to move on from him. Maybe they should be. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I, I think that, 
you know, if, if you think about it, if you, if you really judge that your rebuild is coming in the next few years and that you like want a guy that's good at drafting and, and making the moves to, to like reset an, an organization, you have to make that move now probably. Uh, by the way, P- PSA, uh, we, we officially have the, um, yep. the the Battle of the Sunshine State in round two. So Toronto's misery lives on. I mean, <laughs> God, 60 goals for Matthews, their best regular season ever, and they're out in one. And look, that's another thing, too, like, um, to bring it back to the Bruins, like, this playoff structure is not going away. So you can keep having these 100 to 100, you know, five-point seasons, but... You know, if you aren't built to beat a, you know, contender pretty much in the first round going forward, then, you you know, you're rolling the dice. Like, you want to be able to have a, a roster that you feel comfortable with going into round one playing anybody. Um, I guess to give my own response to the Sweeney question that I posed, um, I think it really just depends on what, what Bergeron does. Um, if Bergeron, and I think Scott may have said this, but if Bergeron decides to leave this year, I think that the Bruins need to have a GM who is willing to make some very, very unpopular decisions if need be. Um, And if ownership prevents them, well, then then that's that's a bigger issue. But um, what I'm referring to is if Bergeron retires and there's no real, you know... um, you know, big fish uh, in the free agent market or a trade to be had, um, you know, you're not going anywhere. You might... I'm sorry, if you don't have a number one center, even with the guys that they have currently, I don't think they're making the playoffs without Bergeron next year. Um, You know, I I guess unless they wouldn't spend money on a bunch of guys, but it's... um, My point is, if Bergeron goes and you don't have a suitable number one center to replace him that following season... You might as well kick the tires on on trading Marchand while he is still one of the best players in the league because having one of the best players in the league on your roster wouldn't do anything for you without the rest of the roster being in place and you can you know start to build that. But uh, and, and I don't I don't know if Sweeney is the guy for that um, for a full well, rebuild. Well, here's what I would say though. I almost think like that would almost be something that Sweeney like would have to do because I don't. I don't think a new GM can come in here and one of his first moves yeah, is luck. trade Brad Marchand. Like, yeah, but, you're, you're yeah. immediately putting yourself behind the eight ball and having fans turn on well, you. And yeah, it depends. It, it does depend though. Like, it, it depends what transpires before that. Like, if Bergeron, if Bergeron leaves, and like you know, Bruins fans are very, very. Huh, I shouldn't speak for all of them, but. Boston's a very, very uh, educated sports town. Like the fans, kind of get what's what, and I think that like if Bergeron leaves, like fans would be like, yeah, they're 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 screwed. And it, and if a guy came in and was able to trade Marshan and get like you know you know at least two first rounders and a, a couple of good NHL players, like who knows? But regardless, um, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong. Bruins don't have a first rounder this no, year, do they? No, they don't. And, and, correct. And they they do not. Um, and they don't have a third rounder. They do, or no, but no, they, they have, have Calgary. From, I think um, so, and they don't have a fifth round. Like the, this draft is just like a patchwork, unless that they can make some sort of move to get into the first round by packaging something. Look, the the play the play that they're hoping happens is that Bergeron comes back. If Bergeron comes back, 
I don't have an issue with Sweeney coming back to kind of, you know, see this thing out. Um, Bergeron comes back, Martian comes back. You'll have Lysel next year. He'll, he'll, he'll come into your top nine as a winger, I would imagine. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, he has like, what, 20 points in like seven playoff games so far over yeah. Um, this Merk, I might be saying his last name wrong, but the Merkulov kid, Merk Merkulov from Ohio State. Merkulov, yeah. Merkulov. Um, Bridget, your your friend at the Bruins Network says that he his his ceiling is top six, you know, top two NHL center. So he's that, definitely the best center prospect they have, no question. Yeah, and and a complete steal. And and that 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 leads us to one other thing that Sweeney has done well, which is identifying um, NCAA prospects to sign. Um, you know that that's somebody who he just pulled out of a hat. So like he deserves credit for that move. Um, so if Bergeron comes back, like you know, and you bring in some some young blood with Lysel, we'll see what happens with DeBrusque. I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, I, I do think the Bruins could be better. Next, I, I think they will be better next year. I think I think they'll they'll drop some dead weight. You'll get some fresh faces where you need it. But if Bergeron goes, that's where this that's where this whole thing just like becomes an absolute you know. Who knows what happens? Yeah, and, and another thing on Sweeney, since we mentioned, you know, this year's trade deadline, and, you know, I think we all like to trade for Lindholm, and that's why you don't have your first-round pick. That's fine. Um, but let's also not forget that as part of that deal, you know, we made threw in an extra pick to free up cap space and didn't use it, didn't find a deal for another forward. And, you know, as we were just talking about, like, forward death was an issue in this series you know you thought you felt okay at the time because all especially the top three lines but really all four lines were, were clicking pretty well and playing well at that time but you get into the series and like Trent Frederick was on your third line and he ends up as a healthy scratch for three games and then comes back and takes penalties and struggles defensive like you know, I, I still think Trent Frederick is not a third liner and should not be on your third line. To me, his ceiling is like good fourth liner. Like, I, I think that's what he is. And I just, I don't see enough offense from him to to ever think he's going to, you know, really be a solid middle six forward. Um, you know, they didn't, so they didn't go out and get that forward. And, you know, like, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a hypocrite here because at the time when we were talking after the deadline, I, I looked at the prices for some of some of those guys and thought, you know, I don't know if I would have paid them, but I mean, Ricard Raquel got traded. Uh and got hurt. And Andrew Kopp got traded and has been pretty good for the Rangers. You know, we've been like the you know, everyone criticized the Hurricanes because the only move they made was for Max Domi. And look, I I generally don't like Max Domi as a player. I don't think he plays defense at all. Except game um, sevens. And and by the way, he struggled with the Hurricanes for a lot until Game Seven, when he just had two two goals and an assist. And yeah, he like, had two goals in twenty five games with them, and then all of a sudden, Game Seven, he has two goals. Yeah. So, and, but that's a good example. He's a good example of you know. By the way, they got him when we talked to Sarah. It made more sense why that was the move they made, just because of the whole uh, retention of twenty five percent of his cap um, that came with that deal. So they kind of got him for relatively cheap. Um, and they didn't have much space to do much with anyway. So you see, and not even in just Max Domi, a guy that was added at the trade deadline for Tampa Bay, uh, Nick Paul ends up being the difference in that game seven today. So that's a forward that they added at the deadline. 
who was not like a significant name on anyone's board that ends up coming through in game seven with two goals, just like Domi did. Um, and we, we did the post uh, trade deadline podcast. Like, was it enough? We had other guests on, was it enough? Do they need to add a forward? General consensus was yes. Um, but uh, and, and you see it bite them. The defensive depth was also tested in this series against Carolina with McAvoy at one point getting COVID or what, whatever was going on with that and Lindholm um, getting injured and then, you know, needing to take Grizzly out of the lineup just as a healthy scratch. And he hasn't played a lot. He didn't play the last two games. So there's clearly a lot of moving parts and you have so many things you need to fix. So what are you supposed to do? Like you, your hands are tied. Yeah. Well, like I said, like in, in order to add anyone, they got to trade people away and free up some money. Um, or buy people out, you know, Nick Felino could be bought out because he's going to the last year of his deal. And that saves you some money. Um, you know, I, because you just mentioned defense, like that's going to be a really interesting spot. Cause you, you basically have seven defensemen signed to real NHL contracts. You know, obviously Lindholm, McAvoy, Carlo, Forbort. Well, Clifton's on cheap money, I guess, but Riley and Grizzly, like, is there room on this roster for both of them? Because those are two players who uh, obviously bring a lot of the same characteristics and would play uh, regularly without question on most NHL teams. Um, but based on this postseason, like, one of them's out. <laughs> that's that's just the lineup that the Bruins have right now is. And I don't, I don't think either one of them is going to be happy about that. You know, they'll, if they're both here, they'll go into the season and they'll battle for it. And, you know, from like an organizational standpoint, you never have too much defensive depth, all things being equal. The Bruins would love to, you know, have all those guys back and let them battle for playing time. But does it make sense to have $3 million or more tied up in, you know, someone who's in and out of your lineup? Like, you could also but to, to be fair, those guys weren't in and out. Like Mike Riley played a majority of games. Matt Grizzlick played a majority of games. Yeah, because um, they had no Lindholm. Well, yeah, but then you got Hamas Lindholm and one and of them it, was gonna be out. <laughs> True. Now they have, you know, the odd man out. And Clifton is a cheap contract, but he's also he's someone that comes up um in the 23-24 season. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. So yeah, just looking at it right now, uh it's just that's going to be a, an interesting thing to see because obviously Grizzlick and Riley are, they can bring similar things, but Grizzlick still well, with a higher upside. They're both the same age as well. They're both 28. So um, Grizzlick with a slightly bigger cap hit than Riley. Um, so, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a full million. What is it like 700 more? It's a six. Yeah. 687 more. Yeah. I mean, 687,000 more. Eh, well, what, it's it's you know it's it's enough. It, it, well, so not okay. So he's making more than Riley, and you can he's you could probably get more for him if you were to trade him. Oh, yeah, you absolutely so could get more. For if him. you're asking me, I think the move. I think you move Grizzlick if you're choosing between the two, because yeah, I think Grizzlick's ceiling is higher as a player in the regular season. We have seen now he that ceiling doesn't doesn't translate to the postseason, and it's and I'm not. So a lot of it's because he, he can't stay healthy, and that's because of his size and stature. And it's just, it, guys like you, St. Louis was the first team to recognize it. 
Going forward, any playoff series the Bruins play with Matt Grizzlick, their opponents will know. Dump it into his corner, rough him up. Simple. You saw it with St. Louis with with with, with Sunquist. Like you see, you saw it with the Islanders. You saw it with the Hurricanes. Like that, the book is out. At least Riley has the physical physical size to 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 to, to withstand some of that. And also, like you know, we'll see what happens with Mason Lorai, who's on the rise. Like, and I, he's going back to Ohio next year, I think. But like, you know, he could he be like a you know later half of the season addition. Like, you don't know. Um, so I would, and, and, and you can also pro. So Jakub Zaboral is is an unrestricted free agent, but um, Mark Diver reported a little while back that there'd been talks and there's some, you know, mutual interest in getting something done there. And it's probably gonna be pretty cheap because because the a, injuries that he yeah. wasn't able to prove himself as much as he probably would have this season. Right, like, like he was kind of just starting to emerge. Where you're like, okay, like Zaboral might actually be an NHL defenseman now. And then he tears his ACL. So I can't imagine that, you know, he's going to get signed for much. So that's another depth option to have on the left side. And, you know, someone who, who brings some physicality too. And he had played his way into the, into the top six at one in the early parts of the season before the injury. So I think he is somebody that people probably forgot about a little bit um, and, and faded into the back of people's minds. I've seen him up on the ninth floor a few times the other day, I almost bumped into him on accident. Um, throwing something away, but yeah, so he, that's a good point. I mean, obviously you look a little bit behind in the depth chart and there's Jack is under a million, but yeah. he's coming up as a restricted free agent. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just think like if, if you're, if you're, if you trade away Grizzly, I think that, um, or Riley, you know, one of them or both, I don't know. Like, I don't care. Um, like you'll, you won't, you won't hurt from that for long. Like, like I said, like help is on the way. Zaboro, like you said, Lorai, if not next year, the one right afterwards, like that, that left side will be shored up, um, you know, sooner than later. Um, but I'm just looking at their roster right now, guys. So you have 800,000 with Lazar. That'll be gone. Um, you can buy out Felino. Right, so so now you're looking at what four four six, that that yeah. That's so up. you don't you wouldn't lose all of Felino's cap hit. Like it, it gets spread out over a couple of years or okay. however it works. But okay, um, any other forward contracts that stand out that could be movable or bought out? Um, well, I mean, what's going to happen with DeBrus? Is his trade request still open? Does he still want out? Is, uh, do they, well, they they never are they revisiting it. that, like, and and right at the the trade deadline, it was reiterated by his agent. Yeah. So yeah, so is that still you know what do we hear in these next few days or weeks or whatever that he still wants out? In in which case, you know, don't you have like you have to try to trade him again? And I, I kind of feel like you can only push the you know. Well, we're not getting enough in return. Like, you only ride that so long. If you go through another off season of that, like that's that's a full year from when he first requested a trade. Um, and I get that you know Debrusco's done that to himself. Like he's he's the one who signed this extension that he didn't need to sign. So you know it's if he ends up you know want if he wants a trade and doesn't get moved this off season, they've no one to blame but but themselves for signing that deal. Yeah, that was still a very 
puzzling trade so, deadline move. I really, I still, I'm not completely understanding it because I thought once they extended him, that means he was getting traded to someone, but clearly that's not what happened. And you know what? He did make his value. He was one of the better, he was in one the of playoffs. Their, he was one of their better forwards in the playoffs. I mean, straight yeah, up. He was yeah. a, absolutely. He was the only guy that got on the board in game seven. Like he, he was working a lot harder than we'd been seeing him work, you know, right around the time he requested the trade. Um, you know, kind of turned his season around, was able to definitely increase his trade value. And maybe that's all he wanted to do was, you know, try to get that, get more people interested, help himself out in that way. But again, you better not lose that trade because he, the Bruins were anemic offensively and he was one of the few that was providing. So if he, yeah. go, if he goes, you got to make sure you get something in return that's worthwhile because otherwise, like, he's under contract with you. And, you know, game seven... You know, a bit of a soft play on on the on the first Domi goal in the corner. I, I don't know how Domi comes out with the puck with McAvoy and DeBrusque both there, um, but again, he made up for it with his goal of his own. So, wash that out. But um, he, I thought he played fine in Game Seven, especially compared to the, the rest of his teammates. But like another name I'm looking at here, guys, is um, like Craig Smith, three point one. He's up in twenty twenty three. He's a right wing, third line right wing. Okay. Um, don't you kind of feel like uh, a young Swedish right winger could be in the top nine on the right side next year? Maybe that might push him out or somebody. Yeah, else? well, so actually, I was just gonna bring this up when we're talking about DeBrus because, like, I could see Lysel playing in the top six, and then you know, I, I look at him like, hey, Jake DeBrus could be you know a nice fit as like third line left wing, clearly an upgrade over Trent Frederick. But is Jake DeBrus gonna be happy doing that? Because and he, he struggled playing, doing that. And he when he wasn't, was playing in the bottom six, he wasn't happy. And that was part was, of all this that's gone down. So Yeah, he wasn't happy and he wasn't next to guys that could elevate his game. Like he was with guys that were dragging it down, if anything. Yeah, well, he he should be a, like if he ends up on that third line next year and that's where he plays, like he should be the one elevating that line. Like they should and maybe somebody needs to tell him this and like, you know, pump him up or whatever, but like it should be, hey. Jake, go help lift up Coyle and Smith. Like, if, if that's the line, those guys are back. But, like, you know, we've seen enough. He played well enough down the stretch of the season into the playoffs that it's like Jake DeBrus shouldn't need line mates, like, lifting him up at this point in his career. Like, he he's good enough to, at least on a third line, I'm not saying, like, drive the first line, but, like, he should be someone who can – drive a third line like who can you know not just be an extra piece there but like an actual force in that kind of role can i ask you guys a question um somebody that i've been watching um are those your notes brian <laughs> yeah. you got a lot of notes he's shuffling <laughs> no, all these it's, papers it's, it's one it's one page of notes on top of like 20 blank pieces um, is it like <laughs> your your final your final report before graduation yeah exactly um, my question is, uh, a player I've been watching um, off and on the last few years, especially you know w- when he's on national TV, is Tyler Sagan because um, I'm fascinated with how he has just fallen off a cliff. Um, like, I, I, it's I'm honestly speechless. Like he 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 literally does nothing out there anymore. His speed that he had over others when he was younger is no longer there because people caught up 
how this ties back to the Bruins is, um, are you guys concerned that that might um, end up happening to Taylor Hall next year or the year after? Do you think that he's getting up there, 30 years old, 31 do you think that the league might start to catch up to him too again because his his that biggest... was very insulting to Scott by the way. Why? Oh no no no! <laughs> he's Ho- he's going downhill. He's Ho- 30, 31. Hockey age is different. I guess my point yeah. is the, the the biggest similarity between Sagan and Hall, besides being one and two in the same draft and both playing for the Bruins now, was that their biggest asset was speed in an era where you know they were kind of alone at the top. Um, but everybody has speed now, so I feel like their biggest assets are kind of like, you know, neutralized. And so I guess, are you guys concerned that Taylor Hall can continue being a top six winger, um, you know, uh, production-wise? I mean, he, he had 60-plus points this year. Great. I'm, I'm not saying I'm seeing it. I'm just asking if you guys are concerned, maybe. Um, I guess a little. Like, like any player who gets into their 30s, you've got to, you know, start thinking about that. But... Um, to your point, like I haven't seen that yet with him. Uh, I still think when he gets his legs moving, like it's clear that he's still not just faster, but a stronger skater than most guys on the ice. And the way he can protect the puck, uh, I think he can still he's still very effective with it on his stick. Um, what you know, what worries me about Hall though is just the way that the huge drop off that his game took when Pasenak wasn't on his line. Like, I think clearly the idea that, you know, for so many years, right, it was like you only would even have any semblance of a second line because Krejci was there and he could almost single-handedly elevate a line enough to at least be a decent second line. Uh you know, I think going into this year by not signing a second line center, the idea was that Taylor Hall was going to be that guy who could almost single-handedly elevate a second line. And I feel like it should be really clear right at this point that he can't do that. And look, it's it's harder to do that from the wing than, than at center. Um, but it's clear that he needs at least one elite player with him, whether it's at center or the other wing. Like, Things clicked, obviously, when he was able to set up David Pasternak. That was a big help for Taylor Hall's game to give him someone that, you know, that that could pay off the chances that he was creating instead of, you know, otherwise it's like, okay, Hall has the zone entry and comes to speed and then passes to who? Like someone who's not going to finish. So so what's the point? Right. Um you know, so that like that's what would worry me, and especially again, if Bergeron retires, like everything's so off, but it's like okay, if he's gone, then Marshan would need Pasternak and can't have Marshan Hall and Pasternak all together. So then like Poster Hall would still need someone. And it's it, it, you know, it, it just it, it becomes a mess. Like right now you I just think the Bruins are a team that this season had four top six forwards and going into next season, I don't really see how they add another, but um, yeah. So on a hall, like, like if Bergeron comes back and it's still Bergeron and Marshand and DeBrusque or Lysel on their right. And then it's Hall and Pasternak together again. And maybe it's 
Hollow or maybe they find someone else, but I think you'll be fine. Like, I think that that'll be okay. And, and you can work with that. But um, the, yeah, the, the idea, the dream that, that Taylor Hall was going to be able to drive your second line and, you know, kind of be like almost a star player from that position is I think kind of out the window, but I still think he can be, I think he can be a really good second liner for at least a couple more years to come, but he's got to have really good second liners with him. He's not, he's not going to lift up two third liners. Yeah. And he's got three years left on his four year contract. And no, that's not too long of an extension to sign him to. So, I mean, I, I do see the way he currently skates and I still think he's an effective skater. He's a very unique style of skating like if you if you want like if you look at him from the ninth floor you always know when he's got the puck because he just skates a little bit different than everyone but um i'm not worried about it at this point uh tyler sagan i think obviously when they both had speed they both use it to their advantage but i think tyler sagan relied on it more um he just did and hall has been able to probably adjust through the growing pains a little bit more than tyler sagan has I guess the reason I bring it up is just because um, because they're from the same draft and no, <laughs> and they had you know no, it's and it's because I'll, I'll also say this I, I also think Taylor Hall is a real and this goes back even to when they were drafted like people would say this at then and I think it's remained true is Taylor Hall is a real student of the game and if he sees certain things in his game that aren't working he's gonna study his ass off and work his ass off to figure out a way to make it work. Like he, I mean, the guy's an encyclopedia. Like when you talk to him, he just, he knows like everything about everyone and, and yeah, every and he, tendency. He and he I, don't, I don't think, Sa- think Sagan's ever been that player. Like not to say that Sagan didn't care, but I don't think he ever really like lived and breathed hockey 24 seven studied everything every team and every player was doing the way that hall seems to where it's like I, he's got like a book on like every player in the league like he he knows everything about everyone so so yeah. why, so why is he not <laughs> okay because the reason i brought it up guys is because i was watching sagan in the flames series and it's and he's just he's he might as well be trent frederick out there that's how little he does for the stars now and with taylor hall in, in the carolina series i thought he was pretty good in game one but like there were no there weren't many shifts where like he just like took over and, and showed why he was the number one draft pick in this league. And you know, game six, after Carolina made it two to one, like he and Holland and Pasta had a great follow up shift and then they had a second good follow up shift. But if you're that good of a player, which he he is a he's a great player, but like if you, when you're that good, how do you not have a few more dominant shifts? Like it, it just He's just out there. He, you know what he looks like, guys. You know the bubble hockey game, at, uh, like like youth hockey rinks, where the, the guys are on a stick and like they just glide up and down the ice, and like they're moving fast, but they don't look like they're moving fast. That's what Hall looks like a lot of times. He's just kind of like he's watching a lot and not acting as much. And for somebody with so much skill and talent and hockey IQ that Scott alluded to, it's like, well, where are the dividends? It's maybe so he, there, maybe all it. the all of the information makes you overthink stuff sometimes. Um, that's, a true, but that, that's a good point. It could. It really it could. Can. And just to finish the thought on, on Hall, he comes across as one of the more intelligent hockey players in the league. Every time you talk to him, he has a very like high level of emotional intelligence. And, and you can just 
hear in his answers. He's, you know, he always gives, he never dodges a question. He's always able to handle the questions and, and insightfully. And, you know, you can tell that he comes from a place where he cares. He pays a lot of attention and he will call himself out when he needs to change things. And he, you know, he knows what he needs to work on. So that is at least, it, they both have completely different personalities. We've known that from the beginning, him and Sagan. So oh, yeah. um, sometimes people think it's going to be handed to them. Other times people are willing to work for it. Sagan's kind of been more of the, hey, look at me. This is my life. I have a great life and just yeah. enjoy it and, you know, kind of just hope it works out. Well, he also only, Sagan also only played like, you know, X amount of games over the last like couple calendar years because of injuries and stuff. So I just think that combined with the league getting quicker and younger just kind of was a bad combo for him. But um, look, I, I think, look, if Bergeron comes back next year, look, in goal, I think Jeremy Swayman was good in game seven and he was good in the series. And Allmark wasn't terrible in the series. They're, they're good in goal on the back end. They're fine. They could, you know, they could use a little of this here and there. Up front, if Bergeron comes back, you bring in Lysel. Maybe this Merkelov kid can 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 do something and, and, and earn a spot out of camp. You buy a few guys out. You make a trade. Like offensively, if Bergeron comes back, I think they, there's there's some um, some good that this team can do. There's just so many unknowns right now. It's tough to really comment on. But we will throughout the summer as soon as there's, there's updates. We will have opinions. But right now, it's just kind of like. Um, it's tough so quick after the season ending. Yeah, well, that was at least um, optimistic of you there, Brian. And I guess, once again, it all hinges on the, the Bergeron situation. I'm just trying to find out how big Merkulov is. Like, I'm trying to find uh, 5'11". Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a pretty decent size, you know, forward. So 5'11", 181. Uh, he's 21 years old. So, yeah, I who knows? Whoa. It's probably not Stanika. That's all. Oh, well, <laughs> That's some, all I'm gonna say. Somebody, somebody else too. Who uh, is is Beecher? I know one of you guys mentioned him earlier. When we had Butchagross on, it kind of, I kind of like was like, really, is that true? He said that Beecher was like a Trent Frederick, but not as much offensive upside. And I was like, what fucking offensive upside are you seeing from Trent Frederick? <laughs> like how? <laughs> so I mean, well, is Beecher like less than a, less of a prospect than? Frederick like or what can we expect from him next year maybe I think he's like in, in that boat but just to put in perspective like Beecher scored less in college than Frederick did he scored less in college than Nola Chari and Sean Corrali did like that's so you know those are like the guys he's going to be compared to as you know sort of the I don't know guys come up as maybe fourth liners and see where they go but was he a first rounder Beecher who? Beecher Johnny Beecher was indeed a first-round pick. <laughs> so, so you like, spent the first on Beecher and Frederick, and they combined for what thirty-eight college goals out of Boy Swains. Yep. Yeah, number thirty overall in the first round in two thousand nineteen is where Beecher went. Jeez. Yeah, and that was so. Yeah, I mentioned how like twenty fifteen they didn't draft a center. Twenty nineteen, they reached for a center because they knew they needed one, and they needed more in the organization there. Like. N- not very many people had Johnny Beecher as a first round pick. Most people had him as like a second rounder, maybe even third rounder. But that that draft was really thin at center. And so I think they got stuck into thinking like we need a center. So they took the top one on their board. Um there were that wasn't a great draft overall, but there were a couple of players there. Like there was uh like Arthur Kaliev is the big one that like people will mention. 
Um, but yeah, so I, I think Beecher's a his combination of of size, speed, uh, good on faceoffs, some defensive ability. He killed. He was one of Michigan's top penalty killers. Like all that stuff might make him, you know, a solid NHL fourth liner, but I don't think he has a whole lot of upside beyond that. Yeah, he's he's, like he's six three. He's six three two ten, and in in the postseason in in college hockey, he did very well at the faceoff dot. That's that's what I know about Beecher. Uh, that's what I've seen from him when I was there and Scott was there. Um, so. I don't. I don't know how much time we should even waste on that. Um, as if it, if we're comparing it to, you know, what pertains to the Bergeron well, situation, it will be nice to have Mark Dever back on. I think if we can get him on, um, you know, at some point in the off season to kind of just go through this, uh, you know, the the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's you know, Bridget, it's 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 true what you say, but at the same time, it's sad that you say. We don't want to know how much time we want to waste on this because he's the only he's one of like two center prospects that they have and, and, <laughs> and he's nothing. So it's like, you know, you're right. It's not worth talking about, but at the same time, it's like, um, I don't know. Um, I don't know, guys. I mean, we kind of jumped all over, but I don't know. If we got yeah. Well, one thing here. that we haven't mentioned that I just want to touch on because I think it's super crucial is uh, you've got to. F- organizationally whatever coaching training whatever program you need to get into like you've got to figure out how to get brandon carlo right like he is signed through 2027 at 4.1 million a year and at very few points this season played like that kind of player like he needs to be the anchor on your second pairing and look he he stayed mostly healthy this year and he played there all season, but he was not nearly good enough um, and struggled in the playoffs. I think it was, I had it up earlier, but I think he was one of these guys that was on for like zero goals for at five and five and like six against. And he wasn't even getting buried with like a bunch of defensive zone shifts or anything. So that's just a, you know, like, you already committed to him as part of the core of this team. So that's, that's out the window. Like the idea of moving on from him, I I don't think is on the table. I don't know who's trading for him with that contract right now, but you've got to figure something out. And I think Brendan Carlo takes a lot of pride in his game. Like he's not one of these guys you have to, you know, question if they care or whatever, like he does and he'll put in work, but I don't know. Some like everyone's going to get together on that and try to figure out like what is the best way to to bring back like the old Brandon Carlo, like the one from 2019. Because if if that's if you if that's not there anymore and you're you get more seasons like this, like that's a huge problem. Well, I think with Carlo too, I think he relies, I think he relies too much on his on his reach. And and not enough on his foot on on his foot speed really. I, I think I think he, I think he starts to pull up a little bit prematurely on a lot of plays because he knows he has that long stick and he tries to you know, whatever. I also think he needs to work on his hands. I, I, he he's not a great puck mover. He's not, he's not great at handling the puck under duress. And when you when when you handle the puck well, you make decisions quicker with more confidence. 
when you're fumbling the puck, you're trying to go up off the glass all the time, you're trying to do indirect passes all the time because you don't have the confidence in your ability to go tape to tape a lot. So, I mean, a lot of it's skill, skill that's just, you know, the kind of, the player kind of is who he is. I mean, I don't know how much he can really change at this point. I mean, if you, don't, you either have it or you don't when it comes to some of that raw ability. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we talked about how he could, he could, you know, earlier in the year when he was really struggling. You know, he's somebody that you could move on from and not really miss a beat because he wasn't bringing you anything that he could, that, that he should have been. Um, but I don't think that's – and, look, if, if you trade him – I, it's it's a loss. I mean, he, he's a good player for them, but um, I think that kind of expendable piece now has kind of shifted to Grizzlick. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how Matt Grizzlick comes back from this. I mean, you, you're healthy scratch the last two games of the year. You're gonna go through some offseason surgery, the redundancy of him and Riley, and just you know, I don't know. You got you got some lefties coming up in the system, Zaboro and Lorai. So I don't know. Yeah, and. and- Carlo, I mean, as of right now, this season, Carlo, he's the second highest paid defenseman. And then, and then you know, it becomes Lindholm once the Lindholm contract, the extension starts next season. So, yeah, uh, Carlo is next season will be the third biggest cap hit on the defense, just over $4 million. But not really that much more than, than Grizzly, though, only about 400000 more than Grizzly is getting paid. But... I, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes you wonder what the upside is completely, and you wonder how you'd be able to move this contract because it's a massive well, contract lengthwise. Well, I'll say this. I mean, if next year, and again, with Bergeron, without Bergeron, who knows? But if next year comes around, and as they approach the trade deadline, it's clear that they aren't making the playoffs or they're not a serious contender at all, and they're sellers. Um they can't be afraid to be sellers if it gets to that. And if it does, that could be a situation where a contender would certainly pay for the services of a Brandon Carlo or a Matt Grizzly or something like that. I don't know. I think it's going to have to work itself out. Right now, it's just kind of, you know, who knows. But what you said, Scott's not wrong. I mean, they need him. Um, and you mentioned 2019. The, the reality is that that Game 7 loss in 19 against the Blues – has numbed me to any anything else. So when they lost tonight to the Hurricanes, I was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, kicking any worse than losing the cup at home in Game 7. Like, that really did feel just like that was their last kick of the can. Um, yeah, at least for, you know, uh, I don't know, God knows when. Um, we'll see. Certainly with the Bergeron, Martian, core. I mean, unless they can get some, some – if Bergeron stays, if they can – complete this roster the way that it needs to be sure maybe one more kick at it but i don't know it's it's really not looking too too bright right now but we'll see what happens about 10 minutes ago you said something positive and now we're now we're here (laughs) oh well just i mean it's it's not it's i'm not i'm not i'm not wrong i mean you, you had an you had an inferior team on your home ice in front of you you know to win the stanley cup and you and you showed up for eight minutes and you could have had two cups out of the three you went to, and everything would have been fine. Like everything would have been worthwhile. Instead, you and we still that. freaking get the Tuca callers at the station about remember Game Seven, how I mean, much Tuca sucked. They the team sucked. Um, yeah, yeah, no, this, no but they, I'm talking about our callers. I'm not saying oh, they're yeah, logical yeah, yeah. or rational. Yeah. No, but I mean it's it's you know they, the Bruins get two out of three of those cups which they they absolutely should have they should have gotten two out of three of those and it's a total you you can you get two out of three cups you can live with 
um, some rebuilds. But, you know, you get blue balled, you get one cup out of three, and now it's like, well, here we go. This is, this, it's, it's up in the air. Um, so again, like I said, we've kind of bounced around. I don't really know where you guys want to leave off. Um, there's some big decisions to be made in the in the Bruins organization over the summer, and it starts with the draft. Well, it starts with Bergeron. Um, you know, Sweeney. We'll see if they resign Sweeney. See what happens with Bergeron. We Scott said earlier that he thinks that'll probably all shake shake up before the draft, which I think is in June. Yeah, and I mean, we didn't even touch on Bruce Cassidy, who. Uh... The reports about his contract have been that next season is the last. So generally coaches, you know, don't want to go into the last year of a deal without, you know, a new one. Um, and you wonder, you know, if there's, if there is pressure on Sweeney, like what's always the easiest move for any general manager to make it's to fire the head coach and that, you know, that buys you some time to see how a new coach does. But, uh, you know. Coaching market is going to be weird this offseason. Yeah. Who just got fired? That's really that's really good. Um, Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz, yeah. yeah. Barry. Get Barry. Hey, 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 Mike Babcock trying to get back in the game. Where? <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I like I like Cassidy. I, I think uh, – I don't know. I, I, think, I think he's done – a great job getting the yeah. most out of this. Group. I mean, like, what else was? Come on, like, what else was he supposed to do with this roster? I mean, he pushed as many buttons as he could. He he found a lineup that worked that had Jake DeBrusque on the top line, Eric Hall on the second, and Trent Frederick on the third. Like, that's and when it, I don't know that that's like borderline magic. And when it wasn't that, right? Like, okay, so 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 get this. Last year, you lose to the Islanders because your fourth line gets, you know, totally outplayed by the Islanders' fourth line. So you send Sean Corrales to Columbus. Well, free agency, but, you know. You send Corrales to Columbus. Um, I don't, who the hell was on that fourth line with uh, Corrales and, and Wagner? I forget who it was. Uh, whatever, regardless. So you, you bring in no seconds and Felino and, who, you know, Hollow, whatever. Um, it was Lazar with them last year. Uh, and you replace Chris Wagner for 82 games and then two playoff games, and then you bring him in, some guy you replace, you bring him back in in game three when you're down 2-0, when he's the guy, you bring him in to save the day when you replaced him. That's the lineup that Bruce Cassidy is working with. And oh, by the way, he found a way to win game four without his two top defensemen. So like... You know he's done all he can do. It's, it's yeah. If we're if we're doing the whole blame pie, uh, Cassie doesn't get that much. And, and and look, he's probably not the most beloved coach in the league by his players. Fine, well he's their boss, and you don't always have to love your boss, but you have to understand that they're trying to get the best out of you and do what's best for the team and the company. So like, if you don't like Bruce Cassidy, like if if you're a player. Like tough shit. Like you don't have to like everybody you work with. Um, so if he's lost, that's, the role, so that's my motto for this podcast, guys. That's just <laughs> here for the contract. Get it, get it done, and deal with Brian and Scott if well, I have to. Well, I just, I just hate the whole like you know fire the coach over the players because you can't fire all the players. It's like, I mean, it, no, it, I, I, I totally agree. I'm just saying like if there's if there's organizational pressure from above Sweeney, like. Mm. That that's one move that you know 
general managers tend to resort to. No, no, I, I know you're not. I know you're not saying it, but anybody with half a brain could look at this situation and say this is not on the coach. And it's yeah. and so I mean whatever. And so it's. It, I think what Scott's saying is just it's a scapegoat. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but, but exactly. Yeah, but it's yeah, but bring it. Who, who are you bringing in that's better? Barry Trotz, maybe fine. But like besides that, who else are you bringing in? So, it's just a save your own skin move, really. I mean, it wouldn't help at all. So, but why would but why would management care to say why why would our ownership care to save face for Sweeney instead of like like why not why do they care if they fire Sweeney? No, why I don't think I don't think it'd be him? I don't think it's ownership. Like, it, I, I'm saying like Sweeney, you know, and his. I don't know if Sweeney would do this, but like he could if he's in his exit interviews or whatever. And, you know, Cam Neely's trying to say, like, where to go wrong, Don. He can say, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy, um, maybe his message is getting a little stale. You know, it might be time for a change there. Like, that that's how these things go. So, I Yeah, I just, it's a little bit of a backstabby move. I hope Don Sweeney isn't like that. I don't, I don't judge him to be like that, but, you know, you, you never know. Uh, and, and just the most important point of the whole thing is just that it doesn't make sense. And that's not the biggest issue. And that's not like, don't, don't waste your energy well, on going after a new coach and firing your, your current coach. Yeah. And, and less, and I, and I also don't think this would be the case, but like, unless Patrice Bergeron says, uh, you know, I think Bruce Cassie might've lost the room or lost some of our guys or something. And which uh, isn't, he'll never say that. I no, he, like he wouldn't, but, but if Bruce Cat, uh, I mean, if uh, Patrice Bergeron says, uh, "I'll come back if you fire Bruce," then see you, Bruce. Like, oh sorry. yeah, for sure. But like, but yeah, that that's not happening. But I mean, if you're if if you're Don Sweeney and you give Bruce Cassidy the the half-ass fucking bottom six you gave him, and you go and but oh yeah yeah Bruce to get the most out of out of Fliggy and uh, you know Smitty and uh, <laughs> uh, you know uh, Freddie and uh, Laser and Nosi. And, I gave him all the best players out there. And studs. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's Bruce's fault because you gave him a bunch of, you know. So that would be the biggest D-bag move of all time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I gave him Eric Halla, top line center. <laughs> um, you know. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I think, but who knows? Maybe the players really dislike him so much and that gets through to the management. I don't know, but... Um, Anyway, so the Bruins season's over. <laughs> Done, mercifully, because we they, they weren't going much further. I, I, Colorado well, is... I mean, they, they could win that second round, yeah, Rangers yeah, yeah, yeah. and Penguins. Like, those are those are both beatable teams. Well, I think I, if they did beat Carolina, I actually would have felt good about them, certainly against Pittsburgh without without Crosby. And the Rangers... Although it looks like Crosby might be back. He yeah, he might, he might play tomorrow. Um, yeah. But they have to But they, they both of those teams... Their goaltending hasn't been yeah. good. Uh, those have been pretty high-scoring games. Shesterkin, obviously, great regular season, but something's going on in the playoffs. So, I mean, yeah. and, and you're – Pittsburgh, you're in your goalie depth at this point, so. I was telling Scott earlier before the podcast, like, from a, from a, from a just a hockey fan's perspective, like, from an entertainment perspective, um, like, having the Bruins in the finals against Colorado as opposed to, like, Florida – or Tampa, as we know now, because Toronto's out. Like that's just fun hockey to watch. You know, like the Bruins, the Bruins love them to a fault, but um, 
they weren't the funnest team to watch necessarily this year. They're like they kind of they kind of had that Minnesota Wild of like the two of the 2010s vibe, like couple you know some really good players, high end, but then just like a bunch of just like average NHLers that just kind of grinded and and didn't even grind that well. Um, Commonality: Charlie Coyle was on both of those yeah, <laughs> teams. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. It's just kind of kind of a boring product. Like, unless you're unless you're watching McAvoy or Pasternak or you know um, Marshand, it was kind of like I don't want to watch Trent Frederick play play hockey <laughs> or Thomas Nosek. Like they're boring as hell. Like uh, like Curtis Lazar, Felina. Like this is boring. If I wanted to, watch... I'm not gonna lie. Watching Chris Wagner was more entertaining yeah. than watching some of those guys. No, seriously. Like, dude, at, at least the Bruins like. The Bruins of the 2010s, like early 2010s, like you know, on their cup runs, like they, they had it all: skill, toughness. They had fourth everything. line guys that were the most entertaining guys yeah. on the team. But the Bruins, like the, this Bruins team, like they, they were probably towards the bottom of the league in fighting majors. Like they, there just wasn't a lot to like cling to. And so, as a hockey fan, if the Bruins are now out of it, objectively speaking, like it's it's the the best teams are going to be in the finals i think you know if the bruins went on a miracle run it would have been like all right i'll, I'll watch <laughs> but, but but uh you know it, it, it was probably a miracle yeah like, no no brian i thought you were going to tune out after the second round and just call it a year <laughs> yeah i mean I, I think i think i think the best teams have advanced so far i mean truth yeah. truth, truth be told colorado's advanced um We'll see what happens with the Oilers and the Kings. Obviously, yeah. the Oilers should, should advance. The Stars could upset the Flames. That would be a huge upset. Um, I had I had Calgary going like fairly yeah. far. The blue, um, the so. Blues. I, I have Calgary winning it all. So the Blues, the Blues were. I deeper could really screw my bragging. The Blues were deeper offensively than Minnesota. Um, well, uh, Florida is better than Washington. Tampa is better than Toronto. Like all the t- these teams are kind of advancing, so it's so it's Florida all- almost it, Florida almost shot themselves in the foot completely. Yeah, it's wild. No pun intended. Uh, it's it's crazy the way that the Blues have changed just since winning the Cup in 2019. Where like they in that series, the Bruins had more skill, and the Blues were just the more physical, grinded out like you know, beat you up type team. And then you look at like this year and it's the blues are like one of the most skilled teams in the league and the wild, you know, they made moves of the trade deadline to try to get more physical and try to be, you know, more of that in your face, hit everything that moves type team. And then the, the blues still, still take care of them in the first round. Like the, the blues have really like, there's still some players left from that 2019 team, obviously, but they've almost like completely just changed everything about how that team was built. Yeah, yeah. So, which which I say, you know, good a win for skill there. Uh, so good for them. Yeah, good for Tori Krug. Yeah, is Tori is still he's, not going to match up against the Avs at any point? But is he still hurt? Is he still out of the lineup? I know they. I know they're yeah. you know, between series, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen uh, what the latest update is. That was a pretty um, vicious hit. Zadorov laid on in the Dallas game too, huh? Looks yeah, like and then his punishment got rescinded. That was I cannot remember the last time. What do you mean it got? What do you mean? What happened? Like when you appeal it, usually they Wait, don't. I, I saw he had a hearing. I, I didn't see that they gave him a punishment in the first place though. Yet from the hearing, did they? Or what? I don't know. I was only like vaguely following because I think it all happened while the Bruins were playing. But uh, they like they put out some sort of statement saying like they weren't punishing him. Oh, okay. Well, um, maybe Jimmy Ben will drop the gloves with them then in Game Seven. Who knows? 
Oh yeah, so yeah, so they put out a statement announcing you know no supplemental discipline and explaining why, but it's like they almost I cannot remember a time that player safety had a hearing with a player and didn't issue any discipline. Like, make it up as you go. Yep. All right. Well, um, I think that probably wraps it up for '97, right? You guys, you guys, unless you want to keep recording till the sun rises, I'm cool with that too. We can talk and you know, oh, talk. Man, I am tired. You can just carry <laughs> carry right into Sunday skate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go, Scott. You're just gonna have to somehow podcast while you drive and and get in there in the morning. Well, I got I got an early early tea time, so I guess I could just you know call remotely and finish it up. But um, I gotta be in the studio early too with Scott. So hell yeah. Um, all right. Well, then that's it for '97. We'll 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 chime back in uh, for '98. Um, you know, throughout the playoffs and just kind of do a, a episodes every time something happens, and you know, we'll we'll be podcasting throughout the, throughout the summer too. Just you know, probably not once a week, but um, thank thank you uh, to everyone who, who listened all season long. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously really appreciate it, and you know, it was great. So this was our, you know, we started like what middle of last season. So this is our first first full season, and um, hopefully people think we, we've been getting better. I, I think we have. I hope we have. Um, but, yeah, just awesome, you know, to see, see how many people listen. And uh, like I said, we really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I echo it. I mean, it's great to, great to be able to just uh, have a platform to just vent every time something happens, good or bad. It's like – it's therapy, right? It is therapy. Bridget always points out how we always seem to record an episode after a Bruins loss. So hopefully um, tonight's no different. <laughs> but, no, it's hey, but know, we also we, we did an episode after. One. Yeah, we did an episode after games three and four, which is was... the last one I can like in a long time that I can remember. But I mean, yeah, I thought Scott was also gonna thank the academy and maybe his mom a little bit there, but. <laughs> But thank you, yes. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. All right. um, (laughs) That'll wrap it up. We'll be back for episode 98 soon. Thanks for listening.